0: And turn in your Bibles tonight to Genesis. <coughs> Genesis. Galatians. It's totally different than Genesis. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Again, I, I say I apologize. I'm not sure that I have a choice, but uh, I am a little bit weak from the last two weeks, and my voice certainly is weak. And, ah, geez, might as well be honest, right? I'm human, too. I've had a lot uh, on my plate with different things, and especially with my family, my dad, and different things. And so, anyways, pray for your pastor. I mean, I I am, you know, I'm a weak man as well, and I can take any encouragement or prayers I can get. I mean, life sometimes is difficult, you know, and we plug through these things together, and. Not complaining, it's just sometimes things are more difficult. So, all right. Galatians 3 10 through 14. Um, I tried to title this sermon, it's a little bit long of a title, but um, a life of monotonous existence versus the fruitful life of faith. So, some of us are sometimes we just go through the motions of life. Really, not any ups or downs. It's just kind of got caught up in the hamster wheel if, of running and never seeming to get anywhere, uh, versus living a fruitful life that's based upon faith in the finished work of Christ. For introduction, uh, let me read the text: uh, Galatians three ten through fourteen. Reminds you of the truth here. You'll notice the word curse or cursed. I think about five times uh, in this passage. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, it is evident um, that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law... Well, it's not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Performance is driven into the human mind from birth. We are told from the time that we are born, we must chew our food, take a step, pull ourselves up, throw a ball, clean our room, work harder at our school work, and that if we work hard enough and we get good grades, and we go to a good school, and we get a good job, and we become successful in sports, and a million other things, if we can accomplish them by human effort, then we'll be somebody. You can be whatever you set your mind to. If you believe it, you can do it. You just got to work harder. We hear these things throughout life. TV, media, coaches, teachers, everybody singing the same old song. And so it's impossible, it seems, to keep that type of thinking separate from the truth of the gospel. Our minds simply cannot comprehend that people who work through the heat of the day, get paid the same amount as the guys who work 10 minutes at the end of the day. That doesn't make sense to us. If we work harder, we get more pay. They work 10 minutes, they get less pay. No, it's all grace. Everybody gets paid the same for doing nothing but believing. It's just hard for us to grasp this. It's very difficult for people to comprehend the gospel of grace received by faith alone. Now, I know and you know, there's no doubt that genuine faith produces work. We know that. But somewhere in the religious process, works get moved from post-conversion truth to a pre-conversion lie. I don't know who moved them. But I'm like Paul. I wish somebody would castrate him. Uh, let that guy in out there. I think his name's Keith. So somehow, delightful, joy filled faith, joy filled faith living gets twisted into legalistic drudgery that sucks the life out of people. We go from joy filled faithful living, excited to be in love with Christ to some type of legalistic drudgery that just kills us, sucks the life out of us, if you will. Those people who embrace a works-based salvation and press it upon other people, they need a sharp rebuke for deceiving people. That is why I believe the Apostle Paul pronounces a curse at the beginning of the book, Galatians 1, 6-9, let them be accursed, let this curse be upon them. And, and Paul is so mad about this, by the time you get to chapter 5, verse 12, he says, I wish they'd be castrated. I mean, he's very upset that somebody, troublemakers, have taken joy-filled Christian living and made it into legalistic work-keeping that sucks the life out of everyone, now, I know Paul didn't say this, but I'm giving Paul some words. It's as if Paul is saying, here is a straw. Why don't you take this straw and go suck the life out of someone else? Right? <laughs> you, can, you can use that. You know, Somebody's giving you a bad day, hand them a straw. What's that for? Why don't you go suck the life out of somebody else? I'm tired of it. He said, Paul's tired of it. He's passionately saying to the church, we were saved by faith alone, We live by faith alone. Why? Because that's what Habakkuk taught us. That's what the prophet said. The just live by faith. That's how we live. We live a life of faith. We step out in uncertainty, trusting and believing our God, and the rush of excitement, the adrenaline, the uneasiness of it all, and seeing the hand of God providentially supply. And we're like, what a life! Joy and excitement every time we get out of our comfort zone and we see God step in and do something we never believed would be done. It's Christian life. Don't take that away from anybody with some type of legalism that sucks the life out of them. So we'll do verse 10 and verse 12. We'll put those two together And it's under the heading of a cursed life. This mentality of performance, we see it there in verse 10. You rely on the works of the law, you're under a curse. Cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by all things that are written in the book of the law. That means they're trying to keep every jot and tittle that Moses wrote. they got to do every one of them exactly right. Even if they've interpreted them wrong, they've set up this thing that they must keep. Verse 12 and Those that are doing this, it, they're not exercising faith. The law is not a faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. It's based upon their own ability, not upon faith or trust in God. <coughs> now, let me reword verse 10, the beginning, and I would translate it this way, for as many as... Are, A-R-E, it's a to be verb, as are of the works of the law. The ESV translates it to rely. So as many as their being is a part of this works of the law, those who live a life of dependence upon those works, they can accomplish and do. Not only do they do that, I just know human nature automatically when you buy into the lie that you can perform and gain, gain God's favor, you start expecting other people to perform as well. So because I've bought the lie that if I do more, God loves me more, do more and I'll be more righteous, then I look at other people and say, they're not doing what I do and that's why they are the way they are. They just need to try harder. Try harder. They need to do more. If they would just do more, then they would feel better. Or they might feel worse. But that's what we start doing when we buy into this system. The implication here is to be or to rely on the law is to expect a certain outcome. I'm doing something because, whether I say it or not, I expect a return. I do this and I want to get something for it. Now, the list could be long, but we'll make it short. I'm going to do these things where God will save me. That's why Martin Luther is going up the steps of the cathedral on his knees, praying on every step, doing everything he's been told by the Catholic Church. If I do all of this, finally I'll find peace for my soul. And he, I don't know if anybody could be a better monk than Luther and all the things that he did, but it didn't resolve his heart issue. But he worked really really hard <laughs> he worked so hard they're like look dude go study the book of psalms or something you're wearing us out with all your confessions you've confessed for six hours here we're sick of listening to you basically it's like, so then they sent him to the bible and <laughs> they did not see that one coming yeah or maybe we do what we do and i think this is one that most of us struggle with a little bit more is we do these efforts somehow we think that god will love us more It's been ingrained in us as children, if I perform better, my daddy will love me more. If I perform better, my mama will love me. If I do this, if I do this, finally I'll gain their approval. And we try, and we try, and we try, and we try. And we bring that into Christianity, and we've convinced ourselves by enough work, God would love us more. And and in a real sense, God is like, what are you doing I have already proved my love to you. Like, how are you going to have God love you more? I mean, like, what else can he give? He gave his only son. He's given the best gift heaven has to offer. Like, what do you expect him to do? He can't give another son. He only has one. I mean, what better gift? he give you the gift of redemption, adoption, forgiveness. All of these things he's given... We just need to believe it, not try to earn it. Maybe we do the things that perhaps somehow God will grant me righteousness. And again, all of your righteousness is in Christ by faith. I'm righteous today, not because of what I do, but because of what he did. You say, well, Brother Randall, you always say we need to read our Bible. Well, you do. But not to gain something in the sense that like God hasn't given you righteousness or God hasn't given you love. You need to read your Bible just because you love Him. Isn't not to gain something, you ought to do it out of delight and joy, not out of keeping some list of standards. So, performance is a problem. And here is the problem to not abide, to not abide in our text, in the law, not abide in what was written, and to not do. If you don't abide in the law and do everything the law says, here's the problem. You're cursed. That's what the text says. If, if you don't uh, do the works of the law, you're under a curse because cursed is everyone who does not abide in everything written in the book of the law and do. I mean, when you buy into this system, you put yourself in an impossibility. Look, be honest with yourself tonight. You cannot keep the entirety of God's law? As a matter of fact, you've already broken it. So it's like even if you can start keeping it now, you already have a bad track record of all the times you've broke it. And so to think that you can perform well enough just sets you up under this curse. This word for abide, to persist in something, to preserve in something over a length of time. Not only must you obey the law perfectly, you must always obey it perfectly. It's like, well, I did it right here. Yeah, but I did it wrong here. You've broken it. Basically, if I could just put it in simple English, this system of works-based performance mentality sets up a system for you to have guaranteed failure. You're never going to do it. So it's like, why do I keep trying so hard to impress God? He's not impressed. He's impressed with his son. He's impressed with Christ. Oh, but if you have faith and be in Christ, then that's what you need. Just believe Christ. The word to do, to carry out an obligation, uh, to do, to keep the will of the law obediently, uh, a lifelong of abiding. Let me put it this way Moses said it like this. This is what Moses taught. He said this quote. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people said, amen. We'll do whatever you say. Three verses later, you're like, hello, have you not heard anything I've said? You've already broken all this stuff. But that's what the law taught. The law was never intended to save. It was to show us the impossibility of being able to save ourselves. The word for curse, curse or imprecation, there's two different Greek words here for curse, pertaining to being under a divine condemnation, God's divine curse on someone. The Old Testament context would be this two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Look back in the Old Testament, and you see those mountains there. And so in Deuteronomy 11, verse 29, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. That's where the blessing and the cursing will be. Now, you remember a passage, and I don't know the chapter, but you can look at it later, but it's passages in Psalms. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He was got clean hands and a pure heart. He's like, he gives this description, and you're like, there's nobody like this. Well, there's one. And he climbed the mountain for us, he secured the victory for us, and we believe him. And that's where our righteousness is found. Now, as I think about this thing, I think about. The performance that we're seem to be locked into, and the problem of being under a curse, and then I give you what the result is, and this is kind of a reach, but here's some practical things that I think happen because of this. In verse 12, it says, "By the law, but the law is not of faith." See that there in the text, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them, based upon my abilities, my efforts, not faith. And here's what I think happens with us. We are more apt to be involved in things we can do, rather than doing things where we're put in a position where we're uncomfortable and have to live by faith. So it's easier for me to do a list of rules than to simply trust another. This is scary to me to go into uncomfortable circumstances not knowing the result and just believing God. Here's an example. Abraham, where are we going? I, I don't really know, but God will show us when we get there. If you don't know where you're going, how do you know the direction? I'm not real sure about that either, but I'm going. Why are you going? Because I believe God. That makes no sense to us. Who does that? The only person who can do that is a man of faith. But you're like, you're telling me a guy just walks out of his house and just departs from his land and goes off to another land and doesn't even know where he's going and what he's doing? He knows that God told him. It's faith. That kind of living is exciting. You know one. We'll make one contemporary that you know. What kind of idiot leaves Texas and goes to Mexico City and doesn't even know how to say hola in Spanish and just lives in the bad side of town in order to build a church? That makes no sense. Do you know the number of people that told Jonathan this is the worst idea you've ever came up with? But he believed God called him to go. So he just went. And now look. Now he's like an indispensable tool. I can't do half the ministry I do without him. It's like all of that 10 years is a result of a man doing something by faith. It's exciting. It's challenging. But we're not comfortable with that. And so this is religion at its finest. We want a religion that does not require faith go to church I can do that give an offering I've got a dollar good behavior look I'm a good kid I don't cuss and I don't smoke and I don't drink so I'm good gloat about numbers it's the system of the entire Southern Baptist Convention report a number and everybody claps I can do that I can report numbers Look at our building. We built a new wing. We built a new this. We built a new that. We're laying the groundwork for a new church. Yay, y'all are doing good. We had a fundraiser and we raised a million dollars. Now we're doing a new project. And everybody rejoices in what we do. Programs, events, all of those things. We got a bouncy house and some hot dogs and we had 100 kids. Look, an atheist could pull that off. We can do that. Something we can do. We gauge people based on performance scales. We graph the performance, and we determine what the scale of righteousness is. We want a religion that we can do something and keep it under control, because to live by faith, quite frankly, scares us to death. It's more comfortable to do performance and to pat ourselves when we think we've performed well. And Paul is saying, this is that monotonous life that is cursed. There's no challenge. There's nothing to make me afraid. There's nothing to drive me into prayer. There's nothing to challenge me and rock my world. And so it's, let's live a life that's, here it is, safe for the whole family. And that way, nobody will have to trust God. And we can all just get along. You may not like the way it's presented, but that's the outcome that has come from a performance-based mentality in the church. So, In form of application, let say, look into your heart and examine your life. Why do you do what you do? You have to ask yourself that. Why are you doing it? To gain God's love, to gain salvation, to gain righteousness, to make other people think well of you because you try really hard? Uh, What's your motive? You have to determine that. Because if you're living your life off the wrong motive, it's not building up credit for you. You're wasting time. What, What motivates you to do something or to not do something? I'll give you one more. This is a stretch for us, but is there anything in your life right now that requires faith. Is there anything going on with you right now, you're like, Hood, if God doesn't do something, I don't know what's going to happen. That should be a fabric of your life in some capacity. Have, have you ever given till it hurts? In other words, you say, I can't, I'm just giving an example, but I can't give because I like McDonald's double meat cheeseburgers and if I give, I won't have no money to eat. There's a difference between that and saying, you know what? I'm going to give, and if I don't have no money to eat, I'm not going to eat. Well, I wonder what's going to happen. You won't know until you do it. Those type of things. What am I doing? Ask yourself that tonight, church. I have to ask myself, what am I doing that requires faith? What's causing me, my wife, my family to trust God? What am I giving up? What am I sacrificing? What am I doing just because I love him? When's the last time you broke the alabaster jar? No hope of return of this expensive ointment. And you just poured yourself out because you love Christ. What, What she did will be spoken in every generation until the Lord comes. By faith. Point number two, a righteous life, so a cursed life, that monotonous hamster wheel of depending upon self instead of living by faith. A righteous life, verse 11, and you look there in verse 11, he says it's evident. Now it is evident. It's clear. No one, that no one is justified before God by the law. That is clear. Why? Why? Well, because Habakkuk told us so. The just shall live by faith. So the obvious, this is my translation, is evident that no one is justified by the law before God. It's evident. The word evident, clear to the understanding, plain. It's used in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. And you know this verse. You've heard it at different points in your life. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. That's the word. It's absolute, We know we're not taking stuff with us. It makes no sense to have a U-Haul at your funeral. You're not taking it with you. There's also a synonym, a Greek word synonym for this word, and it is found in Romans 119, and it says there, for what can be known about God is plain. Clear, evident, plain. Paul says, this is very simple language. Everybody in the room, this is obvious to every one of us. Your performance will not gain you heaven. Your performance will not make God love you more. Your performance will not make God give you more righteousness as if that was possible. We know that. Then, if we know that, why do we keep getting stuck in the same routine of performance trying to gain something from God? We need to repent of this and stop living in our own abilities without faith. Perfect obedience is impossible. By the time you read the book of Galatians or understand the book of Galatians, you've already broken the law so many times you can't undo all the things you've already messed up. This is what we know. (laughs) Nothing in my hands do I bring. I just know I believe Christ. Could somebody in the room tonight receive that? Somebody that feels guilty because they haven't tried hard enough. Somebody that feels guilty because they haven't done enough. Somebody that feels guilty that they've sinned over here or they did this over here. Somebody that keeps beating themselves up all the time because they've not lived up to a certain standard. Could this be the night you say, you know what? I'm through with that. I believe Christ. Christ is my righteousness. And the devil says, you did, you did, you did. And you say, you look him in the eye and you say, who are you to bring a charge against God's elect? It's God that justifies. I believe Christ. Would you be set free tonight from performance? Would you be set free from all this monotonous, goofy work of trying to please and receive Christ by faith and live in freedom and delight and joy by faith? Habakkuk said, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Saved by faith, we live by faith. In all our sin, we know that our righteousness is not based upon our performance, but upon Christ. In application, I'd like to make a really long list, but I made a short one. See if these would resonate with you. One man prays to relieve his conscience. Another man prays because his conscience has been relieved. One man goes to church to feel better about himself. Another man goes to church because he loves God. One man gives money because he thinks it's required of him. And another man gives Because it's the joy of his heart to give. One man reads his Bible to be able to say, I read my Bible every day. And another man reads his Bible because he's trying to find great treasure. It's radically different. Oh, the monotonous curse of being able to say, I read my Bible from beginning to end 14 years in a row. Whoop-de-doo. Right? I mean, if I mean, if your whole goal was just to be able to say that, what a bummer. But if you say, Man, I missed a lot of days, but when I read, I'm just looking for treasure. I'm looking for treasure. And I find treasure here, and I'm just blessed by it. And what, what a great way to read the Bible. I just need some gold. I just need some honey. I need the drippings of the honeycomb. And I've come here to take delight. I don't come here to gain God's love. He already loves me. I don't come here for righteousness. I already have righteousness. I come here because there's treasure here. Pray you could see the difference. Lastly, a substituted life, verses 13 and 14. You see it there in the text. What a great thundering truth. Christ, you you want to insert alone. Christ alone redeemed us from the curse. Maybe you might want to insert a whole phrase, Christ, without any help from us, redeemed us from the curse. Well, I can't make you, but I'd say amen. If you're under a curse and somebody redeems you out from under a curse and you understand what a curse is, amen. Thank you for Christ. Because without Christ, guess what? I'd stay under the curse, I'd die in the curse, and for all of eternity, I would be cursed. But Christ redeemed me from under this curse. curse of the law. How in the world did he do this? Mystery of all mysteries: The sinless Son of God became a curse for us. For it's written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ. You get two purpose clauses. So that is the clause. You get that twice. So that Christ Jesus, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Second one, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ accomplished redemption. He did not make redemption possible. Christ redeemed. He did not put a key in the front of the door and leave the choice of opening it to you. It's like a picture of a jail cell, and it's like some people envision that Christ comes and lays a key right outside the door. And it's like, if you just slide your hand through and pick it up, you can unlock and let yourself out. No, Christ kicked the whole stinking door down. He set you free. He delivered you out. He did this out of his own power and of his own will. How did he accomplish such redemption? One of my favorite Greek words, who pair. He stood in our stead, stood in our place, in our behalf, for our sake. He was cursed so that we would be blessed. You cannot help but to think that great sermon preached by Charles Haddon's sermon on Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And you look at that text, and you go back to numbers chapter 21, and all these people are sinning, God sends a curse upon them, all these serpents come, all these serpents start biting them, when they get bit, they die, and thousands upon thousands are dying. He says, "Take this bronze servant, p- serpent, put it upon a pole, and whoever looks at it will live. And everybody who looked lived. And the people who didn't look died. All they had to do was look. And then you go to John chapter 3 and you look in John chapter 3 with Jesus and Nicodemus and he says, he takes that same story, the Son of Man must be lifted up and whoever believes him shall have eternal life. All you have to do is look. I love that passage so much, the remedy for sin is not do, look. Look to another. Look to one beside yourself. Don't look in the mirror. Spurgeon said of that event when that sermon was preached, this is what he said. He said, I was waiting upon 50 things to do, but the text simply said, look. He said he looked and he looked and he looked until he almost looked his eyes out. Oh, would that set you free tonight? That every time you condemn yourself, every time you don't feel like you've lived up, it's true of all this. us, none of us have lived up to anything. None of us have performed well enough. In that moment, from this text, would you look to Christ and say, but there stands all my righteousness. Two purpose clauses, so that and so that. The blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that be us, so that we might receive the promised spirit. How? By faith alone. Application, live in thankfulness for Christ, not working to gain Christ. Doing what you do out of gratitude, joy, and love. Oh, I guess there could be a million different examples to do these things and uh, he's not here, and he'll probably never hear this, and that's fine, but Jonathan is a good friend. Jonathan Murdoch, Trinity Baptist Church, is a good friend, and he don't have a lot of money, he don't have a lot of things, but he's a good friend. I don't know of anybody that gives me more encouragement and more genuineness than him, and you know what effect it has? I don't do things to gain his friendship. I just want to do things for him because I love him. That's what I'm trying to communicate to you about Christ. There is no better friend than Christ. There's no one who's done more for you than Christ. The response is, I just want to serve him because my heart's full of love and gratitude. I'm not trying to gain something. I just want to do these things because he's done so much for me and I love him. It shouldn't be complicated. I'm not doing this to gain love or to gain righteousness. I'm doing this because I have those things. Live in worship of Christ. Don't live working to be accepted by Christ. Live because you're already accepted. Philip Bliss wrote this many years ago, page 472. No, I'm not going to sing it. No, we're not going to sing it, but that's okay. Okay. I think, I don't know a lot about Philip. I've read some things. I don't know him all that well, but I think he nailed a home run here. I don't remember this song growing up in church, but I know it was in the Baptist hymnal. It's been there for a long time. We've sang it here at some point in life, but just hear the words. This is the closing tonight, and we'll be done. It says it this way. Free from the law, O happy condition, Jesus hath bled, and there is remission. Cursed by the law, bruised by the fall, grace hath redeemed us once for all. Stanza two. Now we are free, there's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come. Come unto me, oh hear his sweet call. Come, he saves us once and for all. Last stanza, children of God, oh glorious calling. Surely his grace will keep us from falling, passing from death to life at his call. Blessed salvation once for all. The chorus, once for all, O sinner, receive it. Once for all, O friend, now believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once and for all. If by chance you wake up tomorrow morning and you feel condemned and you feel like a failure on God's planet Earth, somewhere in the middle of your week, you don't do your job and your boss gets mad and your spouse yells at you and you burn the food and the house is a wreck and the kids are acting like yahoo idiots if that happens to happen during your week this week and chaos ensues upon you and you say i'm an absolute total failure just don't stop there that's what you are but in Christ it's not so in Christ i'm not a failure I'm a saint, I'm adopted, I'm a member of the family of God. God is my Father, the Son is my Savior, and the Spirit of God dwells within me, and He is going to keep me unto all of eternity. That's who I am. I am a child of God. I've been bought by the blood of Christ, I've been secured by the blood of Christ, I've been sealed by the Spirit of God. All of these things are true. I may feel this way, but this is what's true about me. Because the Bible tells me so. I pray you can get your identity from these truths.